know, it's, he's going to be cranky today, you know. It's so, how are you doing? That's good. Are you excited? You have a baptism coming up, too, next month, don't you? Yes, you do. Oh, no, no, two months, though, in May. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Well, I got a little story. Okay. Do you, I, well, here's a good question for you. You're a little bit older. Do you know one of the most, what is the, what do you think is one of the most famous Bible verses ever in the Bible? Can you remember? Okay. Well, I'll give you a clue. It starts with, for God so loved the world. Do you remember the rest? It's okay if you don't. Okay, that's all right. Okay, well, well, it's true. One of the most famous Bible verses started off with God, God loved the world so much. He really loved it so much. And, you know, you almost wonder how, how you can measure love. C- can you measure love? Okay, well, i got a couple examples here. Do you know what this is? What is it? For cooking, yeah, it's for cooking. It's a measuring cup. Yeah, I, I do. I do like cooking and baking at home, so I uh, I, I definitely use this quite often. It's kind of getting worn already. I've only been here in the country for less than a year, which tells how much I like baking. Well, you know, it's very interesting because in Psalms, in the book of the Bible, in Psalms, it says that God's love is so much that the cup always runs full. So no matter if you empty it, as soon as you turn it over, it's full again. And it keeps running over, full, full, full. So just think, if you're baking, do you have your mom bake or your dad bake? You get the water, right? And as soon as it, you, 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 you did the water full and you bring it over the bowl and you dump it, what happens? No, no. It doesn't fill back up. It's empty. You're helping. <laughs> Unless you have a, a God cup. <laughs> it's empty. But for God, for God, he said that no matter what, the cup is always full. It's interesting about God's love. It's always full, right? Hmm. Okay, that's one way we can measure God's love. I got a tape measure that I b- borrowed from Bill, who's one of the elders, because I don't have a tape measure. I have a ruler, but it doesn't affect. The Bible also says that God's love is so great that there's no way that it's so far. Okay, so stretch your arms out. How, how far, how, how long do you think that is? It's, it's not very long, right? But what if God's love is, is much longer than that? It, it's so, you know, I, I stretch my arms. I got long arms, right? It, God's love is so great. But even this measuring tape, which goes to how, 25 feet, Bill, what are you measuring? Wow! That's pretty long, 25 feet. you know how long 25 feet is? It's far, right? I think, I, I, I don't it, yeah, this is more than 25 feet. We don't want to stretch it out. It would take too long. But the, also in Psalms, it says that God's, we cannot measure God's love. It's so long and so high and so tall. Have you been to, in, have you been to New York City ever? Have you been there? No, they haven't. Okay. Well, when you get older, you might visit big cities, and they have really tall skyscrapers. Do you know when, when I was younger, I went to the, the third tallest building in the world in Shanghai, it's very tall. It's not anymore. There's, it's now probably like the fifth now because I, I was so scared. But God is love so greater than that and so tall. And I, I'm sure you know what this is. And it's, the time hasn't changed on here yet, so it's still 7 o'clock. We haven't supposed to start yet. What is this used for? For telling time and to measure time, right? So if I say in one hour I will stop, 
what time would that be on the clock? Yeah, it would be uh, 8 o'clock, well, at 9 o'clock technically because I haven't changed it yet, and, you know. And right now, someone's measuring the clock, and when is Pastor Tom going to stop talking? So we use time to measure, but God, we cannot measure God's love for us in time also. It's pretty interesting. It's very interesting. It's very, we, we try very hard to, to measure things, like, you know, we measure how tall you are, how much you weigh, you know, your, your, your doctors listen to measure your heartbeat, but God, there's no way to measure God's love, because it's so great, and it's so powerful, just like how much your parents, your parents love you a lot, right? And they will do anything for you, right? But God loves us so much, he did the greatest thing for us. And you know what that is? Wait, what is it? He died on the cross for us. That's right. This girl, she's going to Sunday school. I'm telling you that right. Okay, good job. Okay, let's pray real quick. Father, so much for your love for us, that you did die for us. And I pray that you would help us, even as grown-ups, to understand how much you really love us. And how great and how high and how tall and how wide and all those things that your cup never ends but always is full. That we would understand this more and more. And we thank you for our little ones in the church, the children and the babies and the, the, the teenagers and the young adults and everyone, that they continue to grow closer to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job. I always like your presence up front. All right, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come to the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clear, seen, that his works have been carried out in God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today in our gospel reading for this fourth Sunday of Lent, we are brought to probably the, one of the most famous passages in the world. I swear I had to memorize this verse in that Baptist church we were attending when I was four years old. For God so loved the world. And I think for the most part, almost all of us have one point in time have memorized this passage. 
And it's very well known. We know it. You hear it all the time. You see it on billboards. You see it on signs. And Facebook likes to post. People love to post it on Facebook. And so it's very well known. But before I get to the actual passage, I'm going to give some context to the reading because our, our passage starts in verse 14. And it, it, it's in the middle of a conversation with uh, uh, an a, um, elder in the ruling class, Nicodemus. And so I want to give a little placement, and I'm sh- you might be familiar with the Nicodemus. It starts in, verse, uh, in chapter 3 from the very beginning. And in this story, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's part of the ruling elder class. He's very powerful, el- uh, kind of an elder, but probably he's not a chief priest, but in terms of his, uh, his presence, people know who he is. He's very powerful. But he comes to, to Jesus with a question. He comes and he's wondering. There are questions. And this, this coming to Jesus shows a couple things. One, that there are people in the temple, in the ruling temple, in the authority and in the powers to be, that are being challenged in a good way by Jesus. But, and they're, they're, they want answers. They want to try to understand what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is teaching. And so he comes and this discussion with Jesus happens. And Nicodemus asks, how can one have eternal life? Jesus gives this uh, parable of how the the wind blows, you can be reborn, and and so on. I'm not going to go into deep, otherwise I'll be up here for an hour preaching. And you guys will definitely be looking at your clocks by then. Oh my goodness, pastor, what are you doing? And so he continues. And Jesus explains, and Nicodemus doesn't really get it. He doesn't really get how you can be reborn. He doesn't get about the wind blowing. He, he doesn't get it. And he asks Jesus to clarify. He asks Jesus to understand. And Jesus says, well, to be honest, if you can't get it in an earthly understanding, you're not going to give it in a heavenly understanding. So at this point in time, Jesus is trying to say, listen, you're an, you are a wise, important man in the Jewish leadership. You're a Pharisee. You know the law. You know the Bible. And if you can't get a simple earthly understanding of how one can be reborn, and you can't understand the wind blowing, that the Holy Spirit's like the wind blowing, if you can't get that, how can you get it in a heavenly way? You can't, you're not going to get it. I can't explain it to you. So what then Jesus does is all of a sudden he brings up this situation from the Old Testament in Numbers. He shares about how Moses lifts up the serpent, and the people of Israel are saved. Well, to be honest, most of us here, we're not really going to know that passage well. In fact, you know, if you're not reading the Bible very often in the Old Testament, which most of us do, and even as a pastor, I generally spend most of my time in the Gospels and the New Testament, not necessarily reading a lot in the Old Testament. Probably should do more of it, but it's kind of a lot to read, right? You know, it's kind of general oppression. But for most of us, we don't really know the story. And we read it earlier. But the story is connected. I'm going to explain that Old Testament story to give some grasp. Because Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand. So he tried the earthly way. The heavenly way is out of possible. So he tries it in a religious way. And Jesus explains, in the story of Moses, if we go back in Numbers and we look, Jesus, there's a story about this bronze serpent. And at this time that this happened, 
the, the, the Israel people have been out in the, in the wilderness for quite a while. And they have kind of forgotten about all the good things that God is doing for them, like providing food every day for them, providing water for them every day. And they start complaining. And they keep complaining. And they complain about God, and they complain about Moses. Well, God kind of gets tired of it. God says, you know what? Enough. So he sends serpents, snakes, into Israel's camps and starts biting them. And people start dying. And that's kind of a rough thing. If you think about it, it's hard to understand. Why would God do that? Well, we see the people of Israel turn. They go back to Moses and say, Moses, you got to pray to God. you got to do something. We made a mistake. We complained when we shouldn't have complained. We, we shouldn't have been doing. We've sinned against God. Please ask God to take the snakes away so they stop biting us. Well, God answers their question their prayer. But he doesn't do it in taking away the snakes. God says to Moses, build a bronze serpent and hang it above the campment. Hang it above high so when people are looking at it, so whenever they're bitten, no matter where they are, they're bit, all they got to do is look at it and they will be healed and they will live. Now it's kind of an interesting, it's one of those stories that you're thinking, Man, pastor, why would God do that? Why not just take away the snakes? Yeah, that makes sense. Why would he even let snakes in in the first place? Well, he's trying to teach them a lesson. Just like any parent trying to discipline their child, trying to get them to understand. Think about it. If you take away something, they completely forget about what, why they had it in the first place. Right? When you got a kid, they want to eat, they want something, they see it on the shelf, and they see it. And it reminds them, every time they look at it, well, if you just take it away, you just hide it so they don't see, they somehow they forget about it, right? Is that true? Generally speaking, they generally, it's not an eyesight, they forget about it. They forget that they're even hungry. They're not even thinking about food anymore. They're not hungry. So if God takes away the snakes, the people are just going to forget why God even brought the snakes in the first place, and what are they going to do again? Well, they're going to complain. And more, and complain and complain. God wants to teach them a lesson. God wants to remind them that it's only through him that they are saved. So the snakes are still there. They got the bronze serpent. So as they're walking around, every time they're bitten, they see the snake. They look up. So they're reminded that they have sinned. They're reminded every time that they've sinned against God because the snake bites them, they, all they have to do is look to God, and they are reminded, and they're healed. They remember that it's only through God. So that's the backstory to this story with Nicodemus. So Nicodemus will know this story. He had to have learned it. He had to have known it. If he was a Pharisee, which he was, and he was a ruling elder, which he was, he had to have known these stories. It would be just like me having to know all the stories in the Gospel of John because I'm the pastor. If I don't know the stories in the Gospel of John, well, you should be kind of worried a little bit, okay? You know, but, but I do. I knew. I know the stories. But that's the idea. That's the comprehension. So Jesus tries first the earthly things. It doesn't make sense. All right? Nicodemus doesn't get it. Jesus says, you're not, if you're not going to stand the earthly things, then you're not going to stand the heavenly things. So what he does, he goes to something he knows. That's what I love about Jesus. 
Jesus communicates in a way that people will understand. Yeah, he says parables, which is hard for people to get. But he says it in a way which people will understand. And he gets to Nicodemus and tries to explain it to him in a way that he understands. And then, you know what what Jesus does? Jesus then tells Nicodemus the heavenly thing. And that's when we get on to verse 16. For that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For the Son did not come to the world to condemn it, but he came in the world to save it. That is the heavenly reason. That is the way of eternal life. He gets to the point. He He gets Nicodemus to an understanding so Nicodemus can start to understand God's overall plan. Jesus tells us specifically why all these things are being done. He loves the world so much, God does. And it's hard to understand. Why would God even do that? Does he really love us? You know, people always say, God doesn't really love us. Well, you're not seeing the whole picture. You're missing the point of love. I love my child. I love Abraham, even when he's cranky in church. You know, you got to love him, right? You know, he's only five. He's not going to understand everything right now. When he gets older, he will. And he'll sit and listen to dad talk and preach and get bored of me and listen to someone else, and that's fine. But we love him anyway, even when he's bad or naughty. We get that. We understand that as a parent. It's the same concept for us. But it's so hard because we're, we're so stuck in the world around us sometimes that all we see are the bad things. And the truth is, in the last week in our community, we've had two horrible traffic deaths that a lot of us personally know those involved. And it's hard because they're children, they're young adults, they had a life full ahead of them, and all of a sudden something bad happens. And that is because the truth is that darkness is around us. Sin is around us and sin is working. Satan is desperate to win. And that is hard. But we have to remember that in the light of all those things, and even though in those tragic moments, God still loves us. His love is still for us. The light of his gospel is there for us, the grass to hold on to and to be made stronger because he died for us. And we cannot measure that. Like we I tried to explain, you know, looking at it from a, a, of tools that we use to measure during the, chairman, uh, the children's time. We can't measure God's love. Only through the love of God, we have salvation. So like God, with Jesus, with Nicodemus, through God's word, he gives us manly, earthly things to understand. If we don't get it one way, there's another part of the Bible that we'll get and understand through. And through that, we can begin to understand the heavenly things. And through that, we gain to understand faith and the knowledge of God, and how to walk with him, how to grow with him. But it all starts with one thing. It all starts with God's love. Because if God didn't love us, Jesus would not have come. If God did not love us, he wouldn't have given us a law. If God did not love us, the Bible would not exist at all. Do you understand that? 
If God truly did not love us, like the Bible says he does, we wouldn't have the scripture. Because why would God do all the work if he didn't love us? But he did all the work. He took all the time. He established. He put in. He put in plans. He put in stories. He put kings. He put prophets. He put all these things into place so that we know one thing, that he loves us and he died for us. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he cares for us. That's how why we should walk with him every day. That's why we should be out there telling others about God's love. Sure, people think God doesn't love them, but they're lost. They're like the people in Israel. They can't, rem- they can't see the sin. They don't understand it until God puts it in their face and reminds them. I mean, I think about that. If I was walking around the camp, and every time walking back, there's snakes all around, and I get bit. I mean, I, you had to think they got to be bit, walk, look, okay, I'm healed. Walking around, bit, walking around, healed, okay? What a reminder of their sin. I'm really glad he doesn't do that for us now. But that, again, is a story to get us to a point, a path to us to walk with God, to know him and to be with him. He made it clearer and clearer as Jesus walked among us. So that's the next step. What do we do? We accept these gifts. We accept the forgiveness. We accept the baptism that he gives us. We accept and walk with it for the sake of the gospel. And that this time we reflect and we pray that Christ will make us stronger. Christ will come closer to us and we will know him more and more every day as we read in scripture. And that is a life worth walking because we know that God loves us. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for the story in the gospel. Thank you for Nicodemus wanting to know. Thank you that Jesus had the patience to try to help him understand. That one way he didn't get it, the next way he wouldn't understand, but he got Nicodemus to a point in which he would understand why Jesus came to the earth, why Jesus and the way to eternal life. And that this story can reflect with us. And that we do understand, we do know that you do love us. And that you died for us. And that through you alone we have salvation. And that there's nothing we can do. And we thank you that you love and forgive us so much. And there's no way to measure it. But we pray that you would be glorified and praised. That in thanksgiving we would praise your name. And know that you have forgiven us. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing our next hymn, which is an insert in Christ alone.